All right, welcome back to episode 29, Sports Talk for Fans by Fans. This is Brian here. I got Alex with me. Alex, how are you doing? I'm doing okay. My quarterback's already hurt already. Try not to freak out, but other than that, I'm okay. Yeah, What? so what is going on with Dak Prescott's shoulder? Is it just like a soreness from the throwing program, or has they have they say, stated what that is? So from what they explained on hard knocks, and yes, I'm going off of hard knocks, uh, I guess the muscle under his arm where he is like the follow-through muscle that he uses to push the ball, it got sore, and uh, they didn't know how to treat it. So they went to the Texas Rangers, believe it or not, to ask them because it's like a baseball injury. And Texas Rangers staff told him to shut it down. So he shut it down for like a week, and then he's been rehabbing for the last week, week and a half throwing. But um, who the hell knows whether or not he's going to play uh, Saturday night or not. Yeah. All right, uh, so we were getting close to 1,300 listens, uh, listeners on the uh, podcast, so we appreciate it, guys. Uh, please help us. Just hit the share button, hit subscribe, and also check us out on the Facebook page where you can interact with us posting polls and some nonsense uh, that we post on there just interacting. Uh, so getting before we get into everything, Alex, I think the big news of the week is the Tim Tebow project is done. RIP Tim Tebow as a tight end, so... Um, can you say that we're, we're relieved that it's finally over so we don't have to hear the nonsense going on anymore, Alex? I think if you're a real Jacksonville fan, you're more relieved because there's no way he should be on that roster. And it was nice of them to give him a shot, but after the pictures of him trying to block that player, there was no way you can ju- you can justify cutting any other player on that roster but him first. Yeah, it's true. All right, uh, so let's get into it. This week, we're going to talk to NFC West, doing our usual uh, preseason preview with some fantasy football information and kind of breaking down some of the offseason moves. So going to the NFC West, which is kind of my turf, I guess you will. Um, we're going to start with the team that finished last last year, which, of course, was my San Francisco 49ers. Thanks a lot, MetLife Stadium. Uh, so, you know, last year, the Seahawks were 12-4, first place, Rams 10-6, and second, Cardinals third and 8-8, eight and, eight, and the Niners were 6-10. Uh, and 10. So with the Niners, uh, big offseason change with giving up the number 12 pick uh, this draft, the third round pick also, and then first round picks in 2022 and 2023 because why not the Rams and the Seahawks are doing crazy crap, so why not the Niners do it? Um, however, we get a uh, player on a rookie contract that we can control a little bit longer and a little bit better, I think, than what the, those other teams, two teams did. Yes, I'm biased in that, and I get that, but uh, we do have a rookie quarterback contract, so hopefully that works out for us. Um, I guess the thing is, what do we expect from Trey Lance, uh, Jimmy G? Uh, my guess is they're gonna he's gonna give him about six weeks to start and prove himself if Jimmy G is gonna be our quarterback for the year or not, and then that's probably about as much time as Trey Lance is gonna get to see uh, if he's fully understood the playbook and fully uh, kind of you know, digested everything, which is a you know a full Shane Hans system. And if you saw that Week One game, they didn't even let Trey Lance run at all. He was strictly doing pocket quarterback stuff. So I think a lot of the league that is kind of dissing him needs to understand that Shanahan is focusing strictly on him as a passer because we know what he can do as a runner. So um, they're not going to open up the whole playbook in the preseason. Um, And if Jimmy G is starting the quarterback, I think we will see some, you know, Trey Lance packages with him, sub packages running uh, short passes, things like that, Alex. But the one thing I want to get into before I ask you this first question is 
some weird stats for the Niners. They're one and seven at home last year, five and three on the road with a minus 14 point differential. They have five losses by one score, but however, they did have the 11th best graded roster in football. So with a ton of injuries that they had last year, this is one of those teams I think I was looking forward to go from worst to first. Um, and that's what we're going to kind of break down here with uh, the schedule later on and, and some stuff with the Niners. So the first thing, Alex, is when do you think, because I think around week six is the earliest, is there time that you think that Trey Lance could get to take over starting quarterback during the season if there's no injury to Jimmy and Garoppolo? Man, um, I think I can see it going further, further into the season, even somewhere between week eight and week 10. I think it would have to be one of those situations where they're on the board of falling out of playoff um, stance. And maybe they think at the end, like, you know, Jim G is struggling or something like that. And they're still in the playoff race. And they think maybe if they switch to uh, Trey Lance, maybe it could give them a spark to help them, you know, get back in the race. Um, week six is very early for me. I wouldn't be surprised if they started week six. I, I think that I think highly of Trey Lance. Um, I think he'll be okay. But um, I mean, you're a 49er fan. All it takes is a couple of balls that you just kind of roll your eyes at the Jim G throws and you say to yourself, okay, put Trey Lance in. Um, but I, I can see it going a little bit longer for the simple fact that. Um, they get, you know, especially how tough this division is, they get to the middle of the year or a little over the middle of the year, and it just seems like they're starting to fall out. Maybe they fall to the third seed or third in the race in the division. I can see them making that trip. Yeah, and the, the big thing on their schedule is week six is actually their bye week. So they have an early bye week. Week three, four, and five is the Packers, the Seahawks, and the Cardinals. So that's three tough games. And I think right there, if the Niners are two and three by week five, going to that bye week, I think that's when you we, we will see Trey Lance um, because at that point, they're going to want to inject kind of, you know, a different process with this uh, with a team. And I think that's enough time for him to fully learn the system. So uh, with the additions, let's get right into that part, Alex. Um, draft, you know, we just talked about Trey Lance. They put a lot into him. You know, he's had a couple good plays already in the preseason. Is there any other uh, members in the draft class that you think will stand out this year? I think Aaron Banks is a plug-and-play starter. Um, I think he's got a chance to start. I don't know if he will. Um, and to think about, you know, I love the cornerbacks and the safeties they drafted. Like, I was a big uh, Tolongo Halafunga. I can't ever pronounce his name. Any of those USC players that come out, I never can pronounce their names. Um, he was a guy winning the sixth round. I knew people that thought he was like a third or fourth round player. So starting caliber. Um, I like Lenore, the corner out of Oregon. I like Avery Thomas. I think all those are cover three style cornerbacks. Um, I think those guys maybe not start day one, but I definitely think they're going to give some, especially in the secondary when you guys just lost a couple of corners. Um, you're going to need some youth in there. So I don't think they're day one starters, but potentially, yes, they're going to be definitely starters that I like. Yeah, I think Lenore actually had a pick in the preseason game. He's actually played well in, in the camp. And uh, the safety you're talking about out of USC, uh, because all I think about is Taylor Mays in that project. But he did get a lot of playing time in the preseason game. And I know we already have, we as the Niners have a lot of issues with injuries already to the point where we already signed Ha Ha Clinton Dix uh, the other day. So there's a lot of injury concerns already for this Niners team, which we'll get into later. Um Outside of that, I think uh, Trey Sermon is the easy one to kind of cover. The Niners are giving a, him a heavy dose in the preseason to kind of see what he's about. They also keep uh, the other running backs fresh because the Niners kind of go by committee because you know, they always have a lot of injuries. So I think Trey Sermon 
it's another one that's going to get some uh, good playing time. Uh, for the additions, Alex, uh, what are some of the big additions that you saw that the Niners had that will make an impact uh, on the year? Um, you know, they did a lot of things to kind of resign some of their players, um, and I kind of like that a little bit. Um, one of the guys that I didn't think was really anything to I saw him in free, pre, preseason was Trent Sherfield. He was a guy I had heard about. I was like, okay, he's just some, you know, run-of-mill guy. But he's the one that actually caught the official touchdown from your boy, new favorite quarterback, uh, Trey Lance. So, uh, thumbs up for that. <laughs> um, yeah, also, I, go ahead. How's it? Yeah, he's been uh, operating on the slot for us with uh, Debo and Ayuk already on the outside. So, he's uh, he, he's made a big impact in the camp, and he may, may be one of those uh, kind of people to watch uh, that bust out on the scene. But, yeah, go ahead with the other additions. Yeah. And then also, um, they're always – coordinators are always smart when they talk about signing players. Like, they signed Alex Mack to a one-year $5.5 million deal. I mean, he's a starting-level center, um, and you sign him. I mean, he's not getting paid that much, but still, it's still a, a decent sign. And then I just – I see all around the board, they just filled up at every single level, level of the defense. So, obviously, last year, injury was a problem. But this year, I think the 49ers defense has got some good depth now. Yeah, I think the, the big thing for the additions that I really like is the defensive line depth because you have you have apparently Ford and Bosa coming back. They're both healthy, and they're both supposed to be playing this year, which if you have D Ford and Bosa both coming back, that's going to be a scary defense. With uh, That allows Kinlaw to kind of develop better. Uh, that allows you know Eric Armstead to be better. And also they signed Ebukam uh, from the Rams as a pass rushing specialist. But I think the biggest steal – uh, maybe of the free agency is that the Niners got Maurice Hurst from the Raiders, who is the 19th ranked defensive tackle out of 126 in football. Not really sure why the Raiders let him go, but as a rotational player, I think it's a phenomenal steal uh, for the Niners to have because we don't, they don't need him to be an every down, every down player. So I, I really love that one. I know Maurice uh, Hurst had some problems coming out in the draft from Michigan. Cause I think, I want to say he had a heart murmur or some red flag on his health. And he was going yep. to be a top 50 player, and he dropped, and the Raiders got him. So I don't know if that went to the point of why a team that was really bad on defense cut him and allowed him to go to someone else, but it's what happened. Yeah, and, and he's been graded uh, as an above, at least an above average player in the three years he's he's been in the league. So the Raiders always confuse us with the things they do. I'm not going to question it. I'm going to love this. Uh, I definitely like that. So uh, to kind of uh, carry over with what Alex talked about for the additions, the big re-signs, Trent Williams, obviously the massive contract, uh, Juice Check, our fullback, Jaquiski Tart, uh, Kwan Williams, Jason Verrett. So they're bringing back the whole gang. Uh, some of the key losses, uh, Bourne, wide receiver, went to the Patriots to kind of finally get a starting gig. Witherspoon, who never really uh, panned out, is, at, is going to Seattle. Tevin Coleman is gone, and uh, Solomon Thomas went to the Raiders. So is there any other losses, Alex, that you're tracking that are maybe of an impact for the Niners? I mean, you have to bring out Richard Sherman. Um, he's sure. a Hall of Famer. Yeah, I mean, he's a Hall of Famer. He's technically still out there. I just naturally assumed that sooner or later he was going to stop playing around and just go ahead and resign the deal with the 49ers. But with all his off-the-field issues going on or whatever, I don't know if anybody's going to touch him. He, his career might be done. Um, but um, the 49ers decided they were going to get young at the cornerback position. We talked about the draft. Uh, they re-signed Verrett and they re-signed Kawan Williams. So 
Um, they got the youth and they got the depth at cornerback right now. So I think they, they're fine at cornerback right now. All right, what transaction did you like the most that the Niners made this offseason? Oh, man. Um, good gracious. If I had to pick one, I picked Trent Williams. Um, I know it's uh, it's not an addition, but they, they needed to solidify the left tackle position. Um, it's one of the most important positions there is. Um, so I'd go Trent Williams. Um, I don't understand what was the problem in Washington. Uh, I heard something about them misdiagnosing an injury or something like that. Um, but you go from being in Washington, no offense, but San Francisco is a beautiful place to live. So you're on a winning team for foreseeable future. So um, good thing for Trent Williams. Yeah, if any, if any of you are doubting Alex's opinions of the D.C. area, we're, we're kind of from there. So we're well aware of what the D.C. area has to offer. Um, yeah, I, I actually literally wrote down on my paper here, Alex, the easy choice is Trent Williams. So I, I'm so I apologize. Um, Can I pick another one since me, you picked that one? Yeah, no, no, no. I said I was going to pick someone else. But yeah, just throw the name out. I'm curious who your name, who your person is now. Oh, I'm going to pick the, the best football uh, fullback in football. Check. Come on, man. Okay. All right. I like it. It's a weapon. I wish Shanahan would use him a little bit more, but yeah, for, for me, it's going to be Jason Verrett. Um, when you, like we just talked about Sh- Sherman's not coming back and Verrett prior to 2020, the last time he was healthy was uh, 2015 for playing a full season. And he was graded that year as a second best quarterback in all of football. So last year, you know, the only other time he's been healthy is he was the eighth best corner uh, in terms of being graded in all of football. So He's brought back on a one-year contract, and I believe this one-year contract will be a prove-it deal to just kind of prove he's been healthy. And, and, and the thing is, it's good faith on both sides because the Niners stuck with him for, I think, the two years before last year with just all the injuries, and they just kept – they stuck with him, and I think it was respect both ways. So I, I love this move. Uh, we get we get him cheap one more year. Yeah, I think he's only 29, 29 years old. So uh, if he can stay healthy and prove he's another top cornerback, he'll get – I'm sure he'll get paid handsomely. Um, the one I like transaction, I like the least though, was letting Witherspoon go, especially to the Seahawks. Uh, it was a one year, $4 million deal. We have $4 million. Uh, we could have made that happen. And then the reason why I'm afraid of that is because, because of rest injury history and the fact that the next corner up is being Manuel Mosley, who's good against not good wide receivers, uh, against good wide receivers. He gets absolutely torched and it's not fun to watch. So, um, I think the Witherspoon move is is a minor one, but it, it could come back and hurt in terms of deaths with how many injuries that the Niners defense have shown. Alex, is there a transaction that you like the least? It's not necessarily a transaction, but it's a huge loss. Loser Robert Solid, the defensive coordinator. Um, I've heard so much about him from um, Niners players whenever they talk about him. They absolutely love that guy. They would run through the wall for that guy. Uh, he's one of kind of those energetic coaches that really just sets the tone for the team. Um, it hurts for them that he has to go to the Jets. Much uh, good wishes to him because he's going to be running up here with the Jets job. Um, but I'm, it's going to be interesting. There's a couple of coordinators that left took head coaching jobs. It's going to be very interesting to see how the 49ers can still keep a competent defense with a new coordinator. Are they going to, you know, you know better than me. Are they going to be changing a lot of their system? Yeah, they're changing some of the system. But uh, D'Amico Ryans, who's the linebacker coach, he, he's taking over as defensive coordinator now. He he wants to implement a bit a bit of a more aggressive style. Traditionally, the Niners have kind of like a bend but don't break style where we just play zone, play zone, play zone. And the pass rush will get there and we just won't be giving big yards. So this could be a very different defense this year with uh, wanting to bring pressure 
So um, we'll see how that plays out. It could be a lot of uh, big plays given up, but a lot of turnovers and interceptions. So it, it could be good and bad at the same time. Uh, the Niners moving to the cap space. The Niners uh, have no cap space really remaining this year. They have a couple million left, but next year they have cap space opening up, including Jimmy G and his $27 million contract in the last year's contract next year. So that could open up more money. Um, going forward, which they probably will need. I think it's a safe bet to assume it's going to happen. Moving on to the fantasy football side of everything now for the Niners. We're going to start with the quarterback, and I'm just going to say that Mike Shanahan, or Kyle Shanahan, I'm sorry, has grayed his hair so quickly. He has aged so quickly with the quarterback situation in San Francisco from having Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, to his one good year of taking us to the Super Bowl to – Nick Mullins and CJ Beathard and everyone else is driving him crazy with decision-making and, you know, bad playing and having and limiting his play calling essentially. So Jimmy Garoppolo started, you know, um, a couple of games last year. He was okay in the games. He started, he got 13, 18 points in the first two games and he was hurt. Um, last time he played a full year, he averaged 15.5 points per game, which is exactly on par with number 22, uh, Matthew Stafford, who, the Rams are holding him up as the save all of the dynasty and franchise and why they're going to go to Super Bowl. But um, uh, to me, Alex, you stay away from Jimmy G. It's a very toxic situation. Yes, he could be a serviceable QB two, blah, blah, blah. But with how San Francisco is operating, I, I have a hard time believing they're really going to let Trey Lance ride the bench the whole year. Um, so I'm staying away from, from uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. What about you, Alex? It's going to be hard for me to take Jimmy G in any of the higher rounds, any of the middle rounds. Um, quarterbacks are already getting overdrafted a lot of times, a lot of fantasy um, franchises. And I just I don't ever understand how people are willing to overdraft quarterbacks uh, because there's not that much of a difference between the third and the fifth or sixth um, fantasy quarterback. Uh, but Jimmy G can be serviceable for you if you do pull a Brian Scott move and decide not to draft a quarterback too very late. Yeah, he can definitely help you out. If you get a quarterback, all the quarterbacks are gone. He's definitely worth a try, uh, but he's not a long-term thing. You don't want to draft him saying, hey, I have to uh, depend on Jimmy G. Hey, do you want to draft him to be maybe your backup quarterback just to have on your bench? Go for it. I think it's worth it. Um, but also you have to understand that probably, like we've been talking about, maybe near midseason, you're probably going to have to drop him and try to pick up someone else. And to clarify, my strategy does not work usually. So don't listen to what Alex said. It's a terrible strategy and I regret it every single year. And I'm trying to learn from it. And I'm trying to get better and it's just not happening still sometimes. So uh, yeah, so Trey Lance to me is the kind of get the sleeper guy. If you have a deeper league or a dynasty league, you need to get Trey Lance and scoop him up because he's obviously going to be, he's shown some great potential. Um, I think he just has to improve on his decision-making. He got sacked a lot that first game, um, which maybe was because the second, uh, second tier offensive line from the Niners is just not very good either. Let me ask um, you a question right. as a Niner fan. Do you think it's a, any type of possibility they might trade Jimmy G during the, the season? I think I think there's no benefit to trade him this season. I think uh, I think we're all in on this roster. You have the two quarterbacks. Uh, you treat it almost like the Tua situation with Fitzpatrick and throw Jimmy G back in if you need to and allow him to build up trade value and trade him for whatever you can get next year, even if it's a fifth or sixth round pick. You just – Keep him until that next year and let him uh, earn that next contract with his next team because next year is his one-year contract left. Um, yeah, so let's move on to running back. This team went from having the second-best rushing attack in 2019 to the 15th-best last year, which I think a lot of it's tied to 
just the injuries on the team. The offensive line was fine, but just the quarterback play alone dictated the pace for the whole team. And Kittle was hurt for a lot of the year, which as one of the best, you know, blocking run blocking tight ends in football, <laughs> it, it just did not come together. Um, for me, uh, and this hurts as Niners fan, I would not recommend drafting a Niners running back. Yes, there's huge potential for him, Raheem Mozart and a couple of the running backs. Um, However, what I would say is if you're in a league where it's one running back or if you're in a league with two running backs, you should draft uh, and fill those positions with non-Niner running backs and kind of use your running backs as your bench fill-ins for bye weeks and stuff like that. Because Mozart has the potential to go off for huge games. However, it only happens two or three times a year because of the rotation that the Niners have and the injury issue he has. And also, he's, I think, about 29 going on 30 right now. So... Uh, he's about to be 29 or 30. So it, I'm really kind of scared to get any Niner. It's kind of not worth getting a Niner since, you know, the days of uh, Frank or as a primary running back. So for me, uh, I think you stay away from them. They average about 11 fantasy points per game between Mozart and uh, Wilson last year when they were trading off starting. But um, Alex, if you had to take one of them, would you draft one of them? And, and you know, what would they fill for you? Like a running back three flex position bench what would you? Where would you t- put them at? Yeah, right around that. Because um, if you're in a deeper league, you're probably talking about running back three or four in one of those situations. The question, which back to what you're saying, which one are you going to take? Um, that's going to be the real question. Because if you're kind of a forward thinker, you talked about Trey Sermon. Maybe Trey Sermon might be the guy they decide to to split the carries up with this year. Um, most there, obviously, it seems like he might be the first you know, get the first crack at the beginning of the year. Maybe they might decide to give Trey Serving more carries. They signed Wayne Gallman. That's a one of the one that had me scratching my head. He's going to be throwing into this running back core. So um, I, I, would, I wouldn't put Moster as – I wouldn't depend on a Moster, but could he be my backup running back to sit on my bench? Absolutely. Um, and then maybe a week I can see that I feel in the win that Shanahan feels that one of those running backs are going to be that guy that week. Maybe I do a flex one week or here or there, but uh, I'm not, I'm not depending on any of the 49ers running backs. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to wide receiver, uh, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Once again, uh, another position group with injury history. Um, last year, Samuel played six games, averaged 12.6 fantasy points per game. Um, he had three rushing and three receiving touchdowns. So Shanahan finds ways to give him the ball. If he played his whole year, he would have, that average would have been at 36 best wide receiver in football. So to me, he's a borderline wide receiver two, borderline wide receiver three. Um, and the other half of this is Ayuk, who in his rookie year averaged 15 points per game, which was the 18th best wide receiver. Um, they did play together and they did show that they could play together uh, and still put up some, some good numbers. Ayuk has a higher. Uh, had the higher points per game. But Alex, if you had to pick one of them, who, which one are you going after? Are you going after Ayuk or Sam? Because to me, there's no real clear-cut number one receiver in San Francisco. Depending on how your scoring goes, um, I think if you're looking for wide receiver, I think Ayuk's going to be that guy. I think he's going to be the, the – I think he's going to emerge as the number one option as wide receivers go. You also have to think about Kittle. I think Debo's going to be one of those guys where – Maybe he doesn't get a put of balls thrown his way, but he's going to get you 20 or 30 rushing yards just from screen. I'm not screen, but just from in the rounds or something like that, where they just say, hey, we're just going to throw the ball at you. So, you know, Samuel, you have the situation where he might not get, he might be the third or fourth throwing option, but maybe he gets you a couple more uh, yards points for rushing. So 
Um, I think if you're, you know, it just depends on how the scoring goes in your league. But I think Ayuk, I mean, I loved him coming out. Um, he was the wide receiver from uh, from um, Arizona State that was supposed to be going in the first round. He's the guy I, I love coming out. And, uh, I mean, he, he didn't even have that great of a year, but he just had a solid rookie year. I expect him to jump up this year. Yeah, and I think, you know, with Kittle healthy, these are a lot of ifs. If these guys all stay healthy, this will be a scary offense because uh, – you also throw in the fact that, you know, Trey Lance and what he can do running ball. It's just a very different um, kind, kind of offense than Shanahan's ever really ever had before. But Let Kittle, me ask you a question. Uh, Who's going to be the the big in your idea? Because Trey Lance has obviously got the big arm, and when he gets in, he's going to throw deep. Who do you think is kind of like the clear-cut deep threat on your team? Oh, it's Sherfield. Ba- based on what's happening so far this year already, um, not just that one preseason game, but in, in training camp. He's been hitting Sherfield on deep passes all game. So you got to think about the kind of player IU can Debo Samuel. They're not burners. They're essentially guys in space that can make people miss and they can, you know, truck people here and there on top of Kittle, who's just going to catch things and truck people. Uh, so yeah, Sherfield is, is going to be the, the home run threat that we've kind of really never had in a long time. So um, to the tight end position, Kittle, third best tight end in the eight games he played at 14.9 fantasy points per game. He will probably be, the focal point of the offense, when I see me, and I want to mean focal points, it's not the Kelsey version. It's the uh, the, the dominant run blocking and then, you know, the, the checking down to him when they need to, to just kind of truck people out. Um, so in a standard snake, you usually have Kelsey potentially going round one, and then you kind of have Waller maybe going two or three. Do you think Kittle, Kittle's fighting Waller for that second draft spot, Alex? Yeah, yes. And um, if I was a betting man, um, and we're just going off based off the fact that the Raiders are going to be behind a lot and uh, 49ers will have some indecision at quarterback probably sometime this year. I'll probably say I put Waller maybe ahead of George Kittle, um, but I think whenever the 49ers kind of calm their quarterback situation now, I think Kittle will be a good play. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think Waller, like I think I said it before the AFC, well, I think Waller is going to sneak is going to sneak in and steal that tight end one spot from Kelsey this year. Uh, so I think I almost think I almost feel like there's a tier where Kittle is in a tier two by himself, and then you have Waller and Kelsey, and it's then kind of their own tier above him. Um, moving on to defense, they were ranked 19th last year. New defensive coordinator uh, with some major pieces um, on this defense now, kind of coming back. They had 12 interceptions and only 30 sacks, and a part of that's because Bosa and Ford weren't there. I think they're going to push closer to 40 sacks, and with D'Amico Ryan, I think they're going to bring some added pressure too. Uh, I think this will be a top 10 defense uh, just because also the easier schedule that they play. They play the Lions, the Eagles, the Bears, the Jaguars, the Bengals, and the Texans this year. A lot of uh, turnover-prone teams with younger quarterbacks. Um, So I just think the Niners will be a top 10 defense. Alex, what about you? Do you think they'll be top 10 uh, improving from 19 last year? Absolutely. Only for this one particular thing. How the heck did Kerry hire to get eight and a half sacks for your freaking football team? How and why? I don't understand. He was in Dallas and he couldn't touch the quarterback. And he had eight and a half sacks for you guys. If he had eight and a half sacks for you guys, I mean Bosa's gonna break the record. Yeah, and to be to be fair, I, I was following that during the year confused, and a lot of it was coverage sacks. They weren't really him generating pressure in the first, you know, two seconds, three seconds. It was him getting sacks on four and five second mark. Um, which I'm glad Seattle decided to sign him because that's something that you, you know, you don't really look at that as a as a positive thing because it's just a lot of luck. He's just like you said, in Dallas, you saw what he really is. 
he didn't improve on anything in San Francisco. It was just, he just got lucky in those circumstances. Um, but yeah, so that, that wraps up the Niners. We're going to move on to the, the Cardinals now. <laughs> the Cardinals last year finished at eight and eight. Um, however, they were a plus 43 in points, uh, but they were graded as the 25th best roster. So there's a lot of confusion there. You know, you're, you're a good plus as of eight and eight team, but your roster was not very good. You're 13 in points scored and 12th in points allowed. Um, and this team is very confusing because they were in the first seven games of the year, Alex, last year, they were five and two. And the two losses were to the Lions and the Panthers. Uh, they should have easily started the year 7-0 and probably had a stronger push to make the playoffs. But some things kind of fell apart. It didn't go the way it should have went. And I think the big thing they addressed this year, Alex, is they added a bunch of, of veterans. So do those veterans push them over the top and kind of help them close out the games they were not able to close out last year? Does that turn them into a playoff a playoff or contending team in the NFC West now with the with veterans, Alex? Huh? This is a funny thing, and it's, it's so funny for Arizona. Arizona was in the NFC East, and it could never win anything. And when they went to the West, they started winning everything. But now the West is how the East used to be. And it's like they might be the third or fourth worst team in this division, but you put them in another division, they might have they might be an uh, 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 11 or 12 win team. It's just this division is just so packed. It's just so competitive, man. Yeah, it's definitely going to be tough. And we'll talk about that when we get to the schedule part because I felt kind of weird with how I uh, kind of put the records because I had done with the losing record. And it's kind of like the opposite of the NFC East. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to your boys, Alex, but you saw, no, you, you, saw you saw how it's possible for a whole division to finish with negative records. I think this is a, a, conf, a, a division that can finish with all positive records because I think they'll kind of break 500 with each other. And I think they have some favorable matchups as the division against some of the other divisions in football, which will kind of uh, help them out. And even Seattle, I'll talk about them later. They don't play as many playoff teams as other number one seeded teams play. So I think, you know, I don't think they're going to hit a huge wall themselves. You know, I want them to. Um, so some of the big changes for the Cardinals in the draft, Alex, uh, you know, Collins, the big linebacker that they drafted uh, pairing him next to uh, Isaiah Simmons. Um, who, who else do you think is going to make a big impact or potentially impact from that draft class for the Cardinals. <clears throat> Similar to what the 49ers did, I like what they did with the secondary. I know Marco Wilson kind of is known, you know, nationwide for being the one who calls his team the football game by throwing a, a, a cleat on the very deciding play right after he got an unsportsmanlike penalty. But I think he can absolutely play. Uh, Tay Gowan was a guy that they got in the sixth round. I heard a lot of people thought he was a top 100 pick. Um, James Wiggins, uh, Cincinnati. So they, they needed some secondary help. Uh, it's probably why they lost some, um, some secondary people and got some new secondary people. So I kind of like how they're kind of building a young roster uh, uh, at the cornerback position. What about the Rondell Moore? You you like that with the fact that they're going to have some uh, outside receivers and potentially put Rondell Moore in the slot? Yes, that's going to be interesting. My question is going to be based off, you know, when they're going to get into the additions where they're going to play one Rondell Moore. Is he going to be their Christian Kirk guy? They're going to, that when Christian Kirk leaves, that they're going to put in his particular situation. Uh, I mean, they got wide receivers galore right now on that roster. Yep. All right. Let's move on to the additions. Uh, so some of the big veteran additions, Alex, that I'm tracking is, you know, obviously the JJ Watt edition, uh, Rodney Hudson later on in the, in the, in the preseason or in, in the off season, 
Malcolm Butler is kind of your veteran corner. Um, AJ Green came in, and then uh, Brian Winters on the offensive line. So I, I'm tracking a lot of the veteran moves, uh, and to me, it looks like they're trying to you know turn this team, have them turn the corner with Kyler Murray going to year three. Was there any other additions uh, that you saw that will make an impact, or was that everything? Yeah, uh, they uh, basically uh, pulled uh, Raiders pulled the Raiders and uh, traded probably one of the better citizens in football, Rodney Hudson, to them. Um, I really just only just gave up like, you know, you're switching picks or whatever. But I mean, I think he, he, he's one of the better centers in the league. I thought, I don't understand why the Raiders got rid of him. Um, but when you have a good top notch center with a young quarterback, it absolutely helps a court young quarterback grow. Um, and then obviously, you know, the, also the JJ Watt signing, I don't know how much JJ Watt has left as a pass rusher, but he's still one of the better defensive linemen as far as stopping the run. Yep. And I think Hudson's also going to make the guards run him better because the guards were just kind of average. Um, so I think that whole offensive line is going to be have a major improvement. Um, some of the losses, Alex, what are some of the losses that you're tracking that are, uh, that are going to impact the Cardinals? Oh, well, obviously the one real one I've been paying attention to will well, pay attention to was Patrick Peterson. Um, He'd been there for so many years. Um, actually, did he leave? Well, hold on. Where's my paperwork? At? Peterson? Yeah, Peterson yeah. went to the Vikings. Yeah, I thought so. I'm reading my, my notes or whatever. I was like, wait a minute, because I know he was trying to resign. But, um, but you know, when you think about it is we talked earlier today in regards to them revamping their secondary. Yeah, Peterson wasn't the old Peterson he was when he first came in the league, but um, he's still one of those guys that you kind of wanted to be there when they started to turn the corner and they started to win. But um, who the heck knows? Uh, he went to the Vikings. God bless him. Godspeed for him. Um, I wanted my Cowboys to get him, um, but obviously they didn't have the money to do it. But um, that's one of the kind of the figureheads of that franchise in that community. Yep. Uh, and then they also lost Hassan Reddick and Kenny Drake. Outside of that, I don't really see any major losses on the team. Um, is there a transaction that you like the most that the Cardinals made? Oh, man. Um, um, you know, this is a very small one. and But it's one of those that kind of when it happened, I kind of first I thought it was it sucked at the time. But I actually am okay with A.J. Green getting signed up to them. Um, a lot of people kind of put A.J. Green as, oh, washed up. Um, but I, I actually really like that because he he kind of has that veteran presence, and we talked earlier about it. They really need it. They were a young team last year, but you know you're getting some guys who've kind of been there, been in the playoffs, kind of been a, have a winning attitude, kind of want to change the atmosphere of a team. Uh, I thought it was very you know very minute you know on far the the radar. Uh, he doesn't have to come in and catch a uh, hundred balls, but he could come in and help guys like Kirk, help guys like. Uh, Rondell, you know, Rondell Moore help those younger guys kind of get to where they need to be. But you, when you get a professional like that come in, it kind of helps out the, the franchise. And I'm going to transition into saying that I actually have that as the one I like the least. And it's not, uh, it's not that I like it the least, really. It's I'm just afraid of the potential um, because of his injury history. In the past five years, he's only played a full season twice. One of them, which was one of them, was last year. He did play a full season. Uh, he was targeted 140 times, 104 times last year, but he only had 47 catches. I know there was issues with the quarterback and who the quarterback was last year, um, but you know when you play like two good seasons out of five, you know 
injury problems and he's 33 years old. It, it, to me, it doesn't really go away. But with what you're saying, Alex, I do agree. Uh, he doesn't have to have the load of being the one wide receiver. You have Hopkins there. So um, as a number two, it, you know, and at times it could be the number three. And especially because he got signed to a, a cheap contract, it, you know, it's he doesn't have to demand to be on the field every single play because the contract doesn't dictate that. So, uh, I, you know, I, that's why I said I'd like it the least. But at the same time, I understand the flip side of it. Um, I just don't like it taken away from the development of someone like Christian Kirk or something potentially be on the field, even though he hasn't really panned out to be what they need him to be as a two. Uh, what I will say is the transaction I like the most, Alex, is, is to me is a toss-up between J.J. Wan and Hudson. The reason why I'm going to go with J.J. Wan instead of Hudson is just because of how bad the defensive line is in Arizona, and you need someone like J.J. Watt because if he can stay healthy, I think that makes a huge difference with how good this team can be this year. If J.J. Watt gets hurt like he is, unfortunately, most of the time recently, uh, this defense is going to have a lot of issues because even – even Chandler Jones, who's there, it's a big name. He he graded out not good last year. Um, I know he was hurt, didn't play uh, play a lot, but he um, just wasn't the same. I think it was the lowest grade he's had of his career. Uh, so age is maybe catching up with him. <laughs> so uh, is there a move that you like the most, Al- or a move that you like the least, Alex? Because um, oh, AJ Green oh, is mine. Oh yeah, oh yeah. This is my Dallas Cowboy bias coming in here. Daryl freaking Worley. Oh, my goodness. Um, I don't know whether or not we had uh, Dallas Cowboys had pumped him up to be some type of a uh, starting level corner, but uh, he 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 did not do well last year. And when you talk about one of the worst secondaries and you do don't do well in one of the worst secondaries, uh, it kind of sticks out a lot. Um, now, obviously, he's not going to be the starting cornerback there, but. That was one I was like, I don't know how is he staying in, in the league based off how he played for Dallas last year. So um hate to be that un, you know that bias toward him based off of his play on a bad defense. Um, but every time I look at him, I see your former head coach uh, Mike Nolan written all over him. I just yeah, he, yeah he's no gonna thanks. be poisoned. Daryl Worley's name is gonna be poisoned for me for at least the next 10 years. I think I think there should be certain rules in free agency. Like you should never draft anyone from the 31st or 32nd ranked defense because if he's uh, available, there's probably a reason why he's available. Um, so yeah, shame on the Cardinals for that one. Uh, let's move on to the cap space. <laughs> so the cap space, they have 10 million free. Uh, this year, next year, the 60 million free. However, Murray's on his in his third year, so that means he'll be coming up needing a contract year four and five. Um, and he's obviously going to get paid. He's, you know, it's no debate. He's going to earn top dollar uh, as a quarterback. So they need to make sure they have free up money for him. But when that comes around here in like two years, going straight to fantasy football. So Kyler Murray last year was number five quarterback with almost 4,000 yards passing, 26 passing touchdowns, 12 interceptions. However, I think he did have 11 rushing touchdowns. Now, the one thing that scares everyone, Alex, because um, he did average 22.6 plans points per game, but those 11 rushing touchdowns. You know, he he got hurt, he got banged up last year, and he kind of vowed this offseason that he's going to not run unless he absolutely has to um, to ha- make sure he stays healthy. For that reason, Alex, because to me, Kyler Murray, the reason why I want to draft him is because the huge dual threat that he is, because he is phenomenal in the open field. It's hard to get him. Not the same as Lamar Jackson, but he's very close second to Lamar Jackson. If he ends up staying true to what he's saying, which I have a hard time believing at quarterback just not doing what he does best. That'd be like Deshaun Watson, not scrambling. It'd be just weird to me. Is he, is he going to be a top five quarterback again this year? 
based on that information, do you think he will actually stick true to what he's saying about not running? Because I actually don't believe one bit. Do you, so what do you think? I don't believe in one bit, um, but it's hard for me to see him as a top five quarterback this year. Um, I think 11 touchdowns from a quarterback is just pretty tall going high. Um, and especially talk about, let's just say, for instance, half those touchdowns were passing touchdowns. Well, you're talking about that. You talk about um, based off your scoring in your league, uh, that's a decrease in your points. So I, I can see him throwing for more touchdowns this year and less rushing touchdowns. Be about the same, but you're looking also going from probably top five quarterback to probably just top 10 quarterback. I see more of that than I would see. I don't know about him running less. I think the running less running less is more about scrambling. Hey, you got to scramble to get out of pocket. You're going to have to get out of bounds. Maybe he gets out of bounds sometimes instead of cutting it up and trying to run 50 yards like he did all last year. But he had some amazing runs last year. Um, so I, I expect him to maybe not have as many rushing touchdowns and more passing touchdowns, but I don't expect him to stay in the top five. Yeah, because right now, last year, top five, Prescott, Mahomes, Allen, Rodgers, and then Murray. Six was Watson, which Watson shouldn't be playing this year, so he shouldn't be pushing him. But, you know, Russell Wilson, Lamar Jackson, Herbert, right behind him. So I think, I think you know, he has the potential to be a, a five again, and and we'll see, I guess, how a season goes. But, yeah, he could definitely drop between five, and I think, I think eight is probably as low as we'll see Murray because I don't see him doing worse than Tannehill and Brady. Um, I, I think eight is the, you know, the floor on him. So, <laughs> uh, moving on to running backs. So this is kind of one of those, uh, this is an interesting thing I've been tracking for running backs. Uh, Chase Edmonds is going to get the first crack of the starting running back position and the backups can be James Conner, James Conner, who's, you know, frequently hurt and he's already kind of hurt and banged up this off season. Edmonds was outside a top 30 running back last year, and he's still averaged right around 10 fantasy points per game, mainly as a receiving threat. So Alex, to me. If you are someone that chases Eckler, I'm going to tell you right, and we've already kind of talked Eckler down recently. Um, if you want someone like Eckler, this is my sleeper pick right here. You let Eckler go, and you get Edmonds later on. Um, and and here's why. Here are some stats for you. Edmonds last year in the 16 games he played, 97 carries, 448 rushing yards, one touchdown. Eckler, 10 games played, 116 rushes, 530 yards. And one touchdown. So they're, they're within 100 yards of each other rushing. And that's Eckler being the quote-unquote bell cow getting more of the carries than Edmonds does. Receiving-wise, Edmonds had 53 catches to Eckler's 54 catches. Edmonds had 402 yards receiving. Eckler had 403 yards receiving. Edmonds had four receiving touchdowns. Eckler had two passing touchdowns. You tell me that Chase Edmonds is going to be your primary back in these type of offense that Kingsbury runs in, in for Arizona. I think Edmonds is a steal, not as a high-end running back, one number one, but I think he's a steal later on in the draft that you get to fill in as your second running back. And if you get him as your second running back, I, I feel like you have a team on the path to win your league. Uh, that, that's the kind of move that I think you that everyone needs to make. I hate saying that because I want to keep that to myself because Alex, that's honestly what I'm going to be probably doing. So don't don't you dare steal that crap because that's why I'm going to be <laughs> drafting our leagues. Um, but that's what I have for Chase Edmonds. What do you think about what I just said? Yeah, I agree with you. The thing about this was the weird thing about the James Conner um, signing. Um, it's not the fact that he's just injury prone. I don't think he he fits their running style 
I think they want to be more of that, you know, that kind of spread out and running type game. I don't know yep. if that's James Conner's game. Um, I can see them trying to do it and him just not fitting in. I think Edmonds fits in way more than Conner does. So um, can I see them trying to force the ball to Conner early a little bit more? Yeah, and then he gets hurt. And then Edmonds is, you know, they'll be behind Edmonds having to be the third down guy who turns into the full-time guy that they throw to a lot. So uh, I, yeah, I definitely think Edmonds is um, – he's <laughs> It's going to be better than Eckler, in, you know, based off of what that is. So, yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, and, and to clarify that with what you just said with Connor, uh, going into training camp and throughout training camp, Edmonds is the number one running back. So he's actually not going to be a third down back. He's actually the number one running back. So we'll see if he holds up because he is a smaller running back. And I agree with what you say. Um, Connor is built for like a Jim Harbaugh style offense. He He's not built for this type of offense. It is kind of a weird signing. Um, so we'll see how that We'll see how that part plays out. Uh, moving on to wide receiver. Hopkins was number five wide receiver at 17.6 fantasy points per game, 115 catches, 1,407 yards, six touchdowns. He was the number two wide receiver in literally every category except for touchdowns, which is the big thing that separated him from the other uh, top two wide receivers in fantasy football. So I think it's realistic to expect Hopkins to go back from being number five to being number one or two. And, and the reason why is because if you look at the numbers that Adams and Hill have, it's not realistic. Adam, Devontae Adams, who's usually hurt for a couple of games a year, had 18 receiving touchdowns. Tyree Kill, who's built on pure speed, he's not gonna, he does have great ups, but he's not like your big receiver's gonna catch over everyone frequently like Devontae Adams can, had 15. Meanwhile, Hopkins only had six receiving touchdowns. I think there's gonna be a little bit more of a balance out there. Adams and Hill will have less. Hopkins will come up and have more. So if I have the option, uh, end of round one, early round two, I'm all over Hopkins with, you know, beca because I think that I don't think the touchdowns is going to stay, stay where it was last year. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Alex? You know, look at his stats. This is how great D hop is. He had 150, uh, 15 receptions, only 1400 yards and six touchdowns. Like you said, that looks like a down year for him. I mean, he's usually around, you know, a lot more catches than that. Um, I, I, you know, I, I'm with you. Um, I can see his touchdowns being somewhere between eight and ten, and him hitting the 1500 yard threshold. You have to understand this was his first year with Kyler Murray. Um, he's yep. going to get a better rapport with him about what they're looking for, what he's looking for, because Murray's going to be the scrambler. Hopkins going to be the best wide receiver to uncover when he's scrambling. Uh, we saw it in the Buffalo game last year. So yeah, I, I, I expect I wouldn't be surprised if a D hop's gonna be if that if he's not the third best in my opinion, I mean he's gonna be worse third best up to one or two. I think he's gonna be high up there. All right. The number two wide receiver situation out there, Alex, between Rondell Moore, Kirk, AJ Green. Fantasy wise, which one of those three would you take and why? I would probably take Kirk. Um, I think, you know, he's going to he's he's I think he's due to kind of have that jump. He's kind of been kind of like a wide receiver three, four, in my opinion. Um, but I think I expect him, especially Larry Fitzgerald, kind of stepping away. I, I can see A.J. Green trying to be the number two. Um, but I talked earlier today, like I don't expect A.J. Green to, to put up any decent numbers, but I expect him to kind of help the wide receiver core out. 
And uh, Rondell Miller, he's a rookie. It's hard for rookies to come in and be an immediate impact. I could probably count on my hand, on one hand, like the top wide receivers to come in and just have great one year, year, you know, first years. So um, I would, I, if I had to pick Stockton, I'd say Kirk. Um, I would play play Green, maybe in situationals or different things like that. If I'm in a deeper league, I probably would draft more, like stock him on the back of my bench, just kind of wait for things to happen. Maybe A.J. Green pulls an A.J. Green. He's hurt. Maybe Christian Kirk kind of gets put in the doghouse. Maybe Moore's the guy that steps up near the end of the year. Um, but I think if you're going to get anybody, the second wide receiver, I think Kirk would be that guy. Yep. I agree. And uh, when you talk about the on one hand, talking about the top rookie wide receivers, I think I, I just go all Minnesota Vikings. When I think about that, I just think, uh, you know, Jefferson and Randy Moss essentially is the top elite wide receiver rookies. Um, all right, let's move on to tight end. Uh, we're just going to pass on tight end. Alex, there's not enough X's in Max Williams name to keep me interested in uh, invested in caring about tight ends in Arizona. So we're going to pass on tight ends there. No love for Dan uh, Arnold? No, he's gone. Dan Arnold's gone. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, he is. You're right about that. He's on the sheet. Yep. He's gone. Unless you're yep. you're sexy about Daryl Daniels. Uh, not enough D's in the name. Um, so <laughs> let's move on to defense. Uh, they were I, – I, I didn't even know this. I, weren't, I wasn't tracking. I, don't, I didn't think the defense was respectable. They had the 10th best defense in fantasy football, 11 interceptions and 48 sacks. Um, however – Hassan Reddick leaving took his 12.5 sacks with him. Uh, that knocks him down to probably more, more so being a, a number 15 defense, and they replaced him with a J.J. Watt. Um, so that's that's a big if. If Watt stays healthy, I could see them being around the 10th best defense again. If Watt is not healthy, between 15 and 20, that's kind of where I see them at. So any, any thoughts uh, and comments on that one, Alex? They got a lot of iffy guys. When we talk about pass rusher, like we talk JJ Watt, but they also signed Marcus Golden, who had one of those freaky years where he had a bunch of sacks play, playing in New York. So, can I see Golden kind of stealing some sacks from JJ Watt, and maybe they kind of being like in my main, maybe not forty-eight, but looking at 35, 40 or something like that? I wouldn't be surprised if that. Um, but the division they're in, we already talked about it. Um, I don't expect this to be kind of a top tier defense. I expect this to be one of those defenses. If you need to pick them up on a week where you don't have a defense, you pick them up on a bye week and they get you, maybe you get a different play or you play, um, playing a particular team. Maybe you get some points out of that. That's the type of defense I expect. Yep. I agree with you on that. All right. So let's going to move. Let's cover the Rams next um, and break them down. All right, so the big question for me on the L.A. Rams is they were the top defense last year in points per game and yards allowed. Can they be the top defense again? Uh, they were 10-6 to 6 last year with the third-best roster grade in the league. So, you know, that's really tough to have. That's really good. Um, they lost to the Jets, however, last year and in, in Shanahan, which uh, for whatever reasons had McVay's number uh, kind of since he's been there. Um, the, and the thing that scares me with this team is their depth because they are phenomenal as starters. I, and honestly, more so last year than this year. Uh, I think this year that you're going to really see the test of 
how well their process of trading away draft picks for proven players is going to play out and affect their depth. So I think this is the first test this year because of what they've lost so far. Um, and the other thing is losing Cam Akers before the season even starts is huge. Uh, he, to me, he was going to be the focal point of that offense. I don't care about Matt Stafford and what he brings to that team. To me, that what you were scared about on that team is Cam Akers and his ability to essentially be kind of almost like Dalvin Cook. That, that's kind of how you view them, that he's almost on par with Dalvin Cook with his ability and, his, and what he can do. Um, he's not as good as Dalvin Cook, but he's, he's close. So I think that they took a huge hit with that. So for you, Alex, the big first question I have is, is Matt Stafford really the missing piece for Sean McVay? Is, is he really what's going to put them over the top? Because I think a lot of people are, are kind of blowing out of proportion. Yes, he's an upgrade. But I, I think they've it's not enough to offset some of these other things that they're losing. Well, what do you think? I, I like Matt Stafford in Matt Stafford prime. I love the player. Um, he's kind of been on the decline a little bit, in my opinion, in the last couple of years. Um, so I, I'm not too sure if he's that much of an upgrade over golf. He's not, he doesn't have the lows of golf, like golf. Obviously we, we've starting to figure out that golf can't read, almost can't read defense. Stafford can, but it's going to be the question of, okay, where's the ceiling with Matt Stafford? Um, his ceiling might be a top 10 quarterback when he's fully healthy, but you're asking him in an older age of his career to kind of be this guy, this main guy to lead you to the playoffs. And I'm not too sure about that. I'm, I mean, I know he's he's going to be better than golf. But the question is, where are you maxing out with him? You just traded one ceiling for another ceiling. Yep. All right. Uh, so first, let's talk about uh, the additions they made. So draft choices, they are the Rams. So the Rams are going to ram. Uh, and they're going to trade away their talent, their uh, picks for proven talent, you know, obviously Joe and Ramsey and, and, and then they're following up with Matthew Stafford trained to first pick first round picks for that. So um, they had the 31st best graded draft class out of 32, uh, their top pick at will a second rounder. He can fly. He's fast, but he only weighs 155 pounds, Alex. And the last time someone weighed that little going into the NFL was 2003. Um, and I'm going to be honest. I think of all the places on this team, one of the the top or the top two position groups that didn't need any help was wide receiver. So I'm kind of confused why they drafted a wide receiver in addition to adding Deshaun Jackson um, to already having some good wide receivers there. Why you would add a wide receiver with that second round pick? So what did, what did you think about uh, that? Or if there's any other draft picks you want to talk about? I really like Tutu Atwell, but I'm right there with you. This is the only thing I can kind of justify with. They got good wide receivers, um, but they needed someone who could take the top off the defense, and they kind of don't have that right now. I mean, Robert Woods is good. He can, in times, he can do that, and same with, with, uh, with you know, with everybody else. But to have that straight, just straight speed burner, um, they signed Deshaun Jackson, um, and we'll get to more of that here in a minute. But can you really depend on Deshaun Jackson to play a game? But the Eagles signed nope. him last year, and he didn't play really nope. any last year. So, nope. I mean, when I thought of Tutu Atwell, my comparison to him before the draft was Deshaun Jackson. And it's so funny, the team that has Deshaun Jackson drafted Deshaun Jackson light. And Deshaun Jackson is a light player. So he's Deshaun Jackson light. So I can kind of justify it. Um, but you, you talk about it. Of all the positions on their team, the wide receiver was not the position that you need. You needed more help at. 
I mean, I could have went offensive line for them. They definitely could have used some offensive line help. Yeah, no, I I agree with you that on uh, you know I, I just anything that gives them depth is all is what I would have wanted. Even trading back to get more picks to fill out their depth chart because I'm really scared past their starters and even some of their starters I kind of question now. So what are the big additions, Alex? We already talked about Matt Stafford. Is there any other big additions that you uh, liked that the Rams did? Is there any that you can name? Oh, I mean, we talk about additions. I mean, we talk about Deshaun Jackson, but I mean, it's not one I particularly like. I would have loved Deshaun Jackson five years ago on this franchise, on this roster, but I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's what it is right now. So, yeah. Outside of that, you know, the big re-sign. I think they extended Leonard Floyd an additional three years, but he's getting paid like nineteen million a year or something. I think something crazy is his cap. Yeah, his cap hit's gonna be twenty million, nineteen million, nineteen point five million. Um, man, that's a lot to like. I feel like you can put any average pass rusher next to Aaron Donald, and they can get you ten sacks. Like I don't understand why you pay him twenty million. And I feel like this is gonna be another one of the things where the Rams just end up cutting him in a year or two and taking on more dead money and just moving on because that's it seems like to be the norm for them. They just kind of. Uh, they you know they just kind of regurgitate people like that. They've um, always kind of shown the last couple of years they're willing to be aggressive, and for most franchises, I actually like aggressiveness. Um, but the thing about it is, when you make these type of deals, you gotta kind of hold your breath for a year or two, and hope it kind of runs its course to where you can at least breathe again once the money dead money goes down. But I mean, that's kind of been the Rams' waste since uh, they they've been in LA. And I think what they're banking on is uh, their $40 million in dead money is going to be available next year for them to use. I, 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 that has to be what they're banking on next year. So giving Floyd that contract, that's 15. You know, that gives you $25 million left over. You do have to give Matt Stafford a better contract, um, I, I would assume. And then from there, I guess we'll see what happens because there are some cheaper contracts on the team right now. Um, so those were the additions. I think of all the, all the teams we've covered, that's probably the least amount of additions we had to talk about. Uh, and one of them was Deshaun Jackson, and one of them was resigning Leonard Floyd. Uh, so that's my concern with the depth stuff I'm talking about. The losses, however, Jared Goff, okay. Um, Ebukam, who went to defensive end, went to Niners. Gerald Everett, you know, stayed inside the division, went to the Seahawks. Uh, the running back, who was the third running back, Malcolm Brown, but which is really going to hurt now because now that you lost uh, Akers, you now have lost Akers and Brown, and you're single-handedly just have one running back, Henderson, which I'll talk about later. Uh, Josh Reynolds is gone. Uh, Michael Brockers is gone, who trash talked Goff and then got traded to the Lions. Really ironic and awkward. Um, Fox, uh, there's a lot of losses. Is there any any other losses that you saw, Alex? I know I just named a bunch off, but I, you know they're they're one of the teams that had a lot of losses and not many additions. Uh, yeah. Um, one oh, of the oh, yeah, guys missed, is. Yep, one go of ahead. Guys, I missed one big one. <laughs> yeah, one of the guys is. Uh, the guy who was second in interceptions for the team, Hill, he's gone. And then, obviously, Johnson, he got signed up um, by the Browns. Um, I know they put a lot of money in one cornerback, uh, but maybe if you would have thought about maybe spending less on that cornerback, maybe spread it around, maybe they could have been able to keep some of these players. But it goes back to what you're saying. Um, they they lost a lot of depth. They lost a lot of starters. And their draft wasn't so much where they resupplied themselves. So I don't I don't know where they're going to find 
these these players from. I don't know if they're just going to rely on just a bunch of undrafted, no name players coming in to give them contributions or what. But um, it, it's going to be tough sledding for them. All right, transactions you like the most, Alex. Uh, the, I put Matthew Stafford down as the transaction I like the most. There wasn't much to pick from. Um, I don't like how much they gave up. The the one thing I do say that is good is. Shanahan was apparently disappointed he didn't get Matthew Stafford. I'm not sure if it's fully true or not. If it is true, I think it's a great signing because not only do you keep the quarterback away from the Niners, but you also upgrade your own quarterback because he – I don't think he's as great as everyone talks about, but I, he is an upgrade over Goff. Um, that's what I see. Alex, do you, do you have a transaction you like the most, or did you have the same one? I had the same one. My question, obviously, is with the trade and the compensation – um, but hearing kind of what I was hearing through the grain fine about why they had to give up so much to get Stafford was the simple fact that um, they were basically paying Detroit to take on Staff, uh, golf's uh, backup, you know, guaranteed money. So when they traded him, I think there's also another set of guarantees to go in effect on golf's deal. So they basically traded uh, quarterbacks and then they basically had to give up a pick to basically have Detroit eat the rest of his money which still, it makes sense, but it's like, God, golf, golf was so bad in their mind, they had to give up two, fir- you know, two first-round picks and, what, a third? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I know quarterbacks have, like, cockiness, but if I'm a quarterback and a team did that just to get rid of me, I mean, I, my confidence is shot, man. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they, yep. they paid to get rid of you. They No, they didn't get any. I mean, they got Stafford, obviously, but they just basically paid to get rid of golf. I, I kind of think to myself what they had paid less just to get rid of golf. Yeah. Meanwhile, Sam Bradford got traded for a second round pick and a couple other picks instead of giving someone a pick to take someone on. That's kind of insane. I mean, the last time that happened, the last time this happened that I remember was what Brock Osweiler, right? That was the last time a quarterback was, was uh, traded with picks for someone to take on the contract, I think. Yeah. And the uh, NFL tried to kind of ban those types of trade. Cause basically what they, uh, they did is the Browns just basically were going to pay the other part of the guarantee. The NFL coach said they weren't going to have it happen again, and then basically this happened again, <laughs> just in a bigger way now. If it was Chris Paul, they would have banned the trade, but that's a different story. Um, yep. Yeah, different let's go on to yep, different transactions. For transaction you like the least, Alex, I have John Johnson leaving. Um, kind of what you're talking about, the money and paying paying people out evenly, balancing that money out. Not to mention that $40 million dead money, that man, that really hurts. That $40 million dead money can be used for – keeping someone like Johnson, who is rated as the third best safety in all of football. And now he's being replaced by Taylor Rapp, who, yes, he's a former, I think, second rounder. Um, but also the other starting safety was a sixth rounder, who did start and play last year, but was was okay. He held his own, but maybe he held his own because Johnson was next to him. Uh, so I think there's a major drop-off at the safety position. Well, is there What transaction did you like the least? Um, them losing Ebukam to the 49ers to you guys. Um, I thought um he I thought he 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 kind of was a stark budding. I thought he was worth resigning. I didn't think they needed they were gonna have to pay him that much. But when you overpay Leonard Floyd, you can't keep both. So um I think that was one of those players who kind of one of those players who could kind of eat off of uh, of Donald. You don't have to pay him much, but he could definitely benefit from having Donald take on triple teams and double teams and kind of get to the quarterback. So um, 
I, I understand you can't pay anybody, but when you're up against a cap like that, like they are, I mean, you can't do it. Yeah, I know Leonard Floyd is more of a pure pass rusher, and Ebukam is more of a freak athlete who's uh, still learning. But, uh, you know, if it's me, I think I potentially keep let Floyd go. I keep Brockers. I keep Fox. I keep Ebukam for the same amount of money. And I think you actually save money by doing that, and you have money in other places. I, I think that's what I would prefer to do. Three pass rushing threats compared to one. Um, but, you know, we don't get paid money to do those decisions, Alex. I just play video games like Madden and try to – Try to figure out what the hell I'm doing. So, yep. um, transaction that you like least, all right. So, um, moving on to the cap situation, uh, there was they have no cap this year, and they're already in the negative next year for the cap. So, that's even with the money freeing up, just because of the amount of money that's jumping up this year. Because this year Stafford makes twenty, Donald's this is the cap numbers. Stafford counts for twenty, Donald counts for fourteen, Ramsey counts for nine. Remember, they restructured their contracts. They're they're reworking that. So next year, those numbers jump from Donald going from fourteen to twenty six million, Ramsey going from nine to twenty three million, and Stafford still has twenty three million dollar contract. So even though they come out of that dead money, they still are going to be negative in cap space because you have other people like Robert Woods going from uh, five million to fifteen million, Andrew Whitworth going from five million to fourteen million. Leonard Floyd going from five million to twenty million, and Cooper Cup going from five million to eighteen million. So, for all my Corey Bresslers out there and Rams fan, this is why you should be concerned when you keep restructuring contracts because it is going to catch up, and you're going to have no depth left. Pray to whatever you want to pray to that you don't play at MetLife Stadium because we saw that how that can single-handedly end a whole season for a team like my Niners. That's exactly what happened. We lost every single injury, and if you don't have any depth. That is not going to be fun to watch. All right. Uh, let's get into the fantasy players. Alex, the quarterback position. I'm going to give you the stat lines for two, two different players just to hear this out. So player A, 4,000 yards passing in 84, 4,084 yards passing, 26 touchdowns, 10 interceptions at 15.5 fantasy points per game. Player number, player B, 3,952 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, so same yards, six less touchdowns, three more interceptions with five rushing touchdowns, and this person averaged 15.4 fantasy points per game. That, of course, is Matthew Stafford versus Jared Goff. The difference between the two in fantasy football is 0.1 fantasy points per game between Matthew Stafford and Jared Goff. And you traded two first-round picks, you got rid of Goff, an additional pick, to take on a player. Now, yes, it's fantasy football, not uh, not real football, reading the field, making the right moves. But but still, to me, that's concerning when you see that the player you're bringing in that you're talking up is the exact same stat-wise as the guy you just talked crap about left and right and got rid of. So, Alex, what do you, what do you think about that right there? Uh, fantasy rise or real football? Both. <laughs> well, fantasy wise, um, I would expect, you know, you could always, we're not to always talking about Detroit yet, but um, golf is in a way better situation. So you kind of would expect him being in Detroit to kind of fall off. The question and pressure is going to be on Matt Stafford. Okay. Matt Stafford, you were in a bad um, 
team situation, win situation, even though you did have some pretty good wide receivers in Galladay and Jones, okay, fine. You're not in this amazing system. You're now being pressured to be the person who's going to win. Now it's the question is now, you know, we've always seen before, we've seen the teams for Detroit, uh, players for Detroit, Calvin Johnson just got to the Hall of Fame. You've seen the Barry Sanders. Great players generally don't make it out of Detroit. Well, Stafford made it out of Detroit. So can we say he's a really great player? Probably not. So the pressure's going to definitely be with him, especially fantasy-wise. 15 points ain't cutting it in this system, um, especially that the, the fact that they're, they're going to need to throw the ball in this division. Yeah, and I mentioned Jimmy Garoppolo earlier, his fantasy points per game, was on par exactly with Matt Stafford, the 22nd-ranked quarterback in fantasy football. Uh, Alex, he hasn't been above nine in fantasy football since 2017. So do you think Matthew Stafford joining the Rams gets him closer to being the number 10 fantasy quarterback or closer to being the number 20 fantasy quarterback? Oh, God. I guess this is where they ask us the big-time questions. Um, can I can I cheat and say right dead in the middle? Just do it. <laughs> right dead in the middle. Um, 15. Yeah, yep. yeah. Yeah, I, I think it that is a reasonable ask for Matt Stafford. Okay, you're going to be in a, a different system, supposed to be quarterback-friendly system. Okay, fine. You're supposed to be uh, – your head coach is the coordinator who's the whiz kid, okay? The pressure's on on you, not on McVay. McVay got golf to the Super Bowl. The pressure's on Matthew Stafford now. And I don't know if he's up to the task. Um, I know a lot of people for years have been trying to tell me about how elite Matt Stafford is, um, how if he was on a better team, he'd do this and do that. It's just so happy he plays for, for Detroit. Well, we're about to see that. We're about to put this thing to a test right now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, going up to 15, that's Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan last year had the same amount of passing touchdowns, but 500 more passing yards and. It's hard to under like to me. It's hard to understand because Stafford had good receiving options. Maybe not last year because you know getting Kenny Galladay was hurt, but before that he's had Kenny Galladay. You have T.J. Hawkinson. You have DeAndre Swift last year, who's a good receiving threat running back. You have you have things there, um, and he only threw twenty six touchdowns, which you know less than less than Derek Carr, um, Big Ben. Tannenhill, Lamar, ja- I mean, heck, Lamar Jackson had 20, 26, Drew Brees had 24, and he only played like half the season or three-fourths of the season. So I, um, it's a little concerning to me. Um, yes, I think Matthew Stafford could be closer to 15, like you said. Uh, the, num- the yards passing, probably not up there. I think it'll be more an increase in passing touchdowns. But uh, yeah, I just, I know I'm talking bad about Matt, uh, Stafford. It's just, it, I'll, you know, I'll admit it when I'm wrong, if I'm wrong on that one. But let's move on running back. All right, so. They let Malcolm Brown go. Akers is hurt, and now we're down to Daryl Henderson. Uh, Daryl Henderson, who's kind of an undersized, but very always very highly productive every time he plays in college and in the pros. This is year to prove for Henderson that, that he is the elite running back. Because I would assume no matter what Henderson does, it's still going to be Cam Akers' team when he comes back, and Henderson's going to have great trade value or, or something like that. Um, last year, between week two and seven, he kind of got lead back carries and he was double digit, double digits in carries in five to six games. And in three of those games, he actually had 20, 18 and 21 fantasy points per game. So he showed he can be essentially a, a almost a running back one when he's given the opportunity in McVay's offense. And now that he's got no real competition, Alex, I kind of see him as a, a steal as a good running back two, or uh, as an elite flex 
position. Uh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think so. But um, to our listener out there, I will also caution him too, because I could absolutely see in certain leagues, Daryl Henderson being overdrafted because of that saying, Oh man, the Rams are going to run the football. Henderson's the lead back. So let's take him in the first two rounds. And I also could see people kind of sleeping on him and not kind of kind of looking at him as a lead back and he dropping and being in somewhere in the 15 rounds or the 12th round or something like that. So um, I would, I would very based off of what league you're kind of in, you kind of understand, especially if you're playing with friends or maybe you're playing in a random league. Um, I would pay attention to that. Um, I definitely think he's going to be definitely the lead back. Obviously uh, I didn't even see them sign any like um, veteran running backs off the, off, off the any practice squads or anything like that. I know it was mm-hmm. talking about they were looking at they may have looked at Ty Gurley, but they don't even have money. We already talked about they just don't have the money to go out and sign somebody. So I mean Henderson is kind of be the boom and bust. If he gets hurt, they're they're up the creek. Yeah. Um and then that's why two the two running backs I really like in terms of kind of sleeper value is Henderson and Chase Edmonds. They're both in the NFC West. I, I think phenomenally Great value, depending on when you get them. Don't draft them too early. See if they fall to you. But that's not a running back one, but a steal as a running back two, uh, and definitely an elite steal as a flex position player. Okay, Alex, now here, here's the kind of the answer to your question. And the thing that I want to talk to specific Rams fans that I know they're going to listen to this just so I can talk about this later. You, I, There's no chance you can name the back of running back, Alex. I'm just going to call you out. There's no way you can name this. If you can, that's amazing because I've never even heard of this person before. I want to know if the Rams fans out there can let you know name their backup running back. So this backup running back, his name is Xavier Jones. He's officially listed as the backup running back. Fun fact about him, he has more career tackles in the NFL than offensive snaps, and he's the number one backup running back. So that is what has happened once you get to the position of testing your depth out because their depth right now is Xavier Jones at running back because they cannot get to anything else. Now that's not to say that they can't move people into the IR and kind of finagle some money and still maybe try to make something else work, but you can't just keep restructuring contracts. Like I know me and Corey, Corey used to always put it, put it off and like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I trust my GM. They've restructured every major contract they have on that team, except for Matt Stafford's. Um, and they already have no money next year. So, I would be very concerned as a Rams fan starting this year with what could happen to them. Now, okay, let's move on to the wide receiver position for for the Rams uh, and fantasy football. So they're one of the few teams that actually have elite one and two punch at wide receiver. I think the other one is, is probably Seattle and maybe a couple other teams like Minnesota. But Cooper Cup and Robert Woods. Uh, Robert Woods was the 19 number 19 wide receiver last year, 90 catches, but did not break 1,000 yards passing. He had 14.7 fantasy points per game. I think he's a strong, strong, strong wide receiver too. He's someone that you want to get as your second wide receiver. Um, you know, and same with Cooper Cup. Uh, so even playing with Cup uh, full time because they both really weren't hurt much last year, Woods still only had six games with single digits. So he proves that he can be a solid number two wide receiver for you. And Stafford should boost those numbers up. So I think there's a chance Woods could go from being a number 19 wide receiver to being a number 15 wide receiver. Uh, and he'll get over a thousand yards receiving. And then Cooper cup was number 29 last year with 92 catches. So two more catches, uh, this about the same amount of yards Woods, but three less receiving touchdowns averaging 13.5 points per game. I think another solid number two option. Uh, he missed one game last year. 
but he had less single digit points uh, per game uh, than Woods did. So Woods had six games last year with less than 10 points per game and Cup had less than that. So to me, I think either one you get, you get one of those two. They're a great number two wide receiver to have in your league and they're an elite flex position uh, item to have. So Alex, between the two, do you have a preference between Woods and Cup of who you would want? I know it's kind of a, a tough question because Stafford's a brand new quarterback, but is there one that you go after more than the other? Oh, man. I think um, I would probably – I mean, it's a coin toss. I probably would go Cup because I think he's going to be probably worked underneath probably a little bit more and over in kind of the outside. So i probably go with Cup. Um, but, I mean, you can't go wrong with either one of these guys. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely – think you know you know woods gives kind of the running aspects of it because they kind of used him a lot kind of on some some in and rounds and different things like that so maybe that might be the tiebreaker a little bit but um i don't expect him to kind of feed him like he you know he's a gadget wide receiver but i mean he had, did have two rushing touchdowns last year so i mean that's some type of value there not a lot but some type and when you look at the fact that their numbers receiving so close I'd say Woods probably, you know, obviously you talked about how he where he is at top right now. He had eight total touchdowns last year compared to Cup's three. So um, if you were going maybe a PPR league, I, I think Cup would probably be you lean to him. But I think if you're going to standard league, I think Woods is probably going to get you more TDs. All right. Um Tight end last year, uh, Tyler Higby was with Gerald Everett, but Higby underperformed. You know, 2009 end of 2019, he had the five games where he exploded, and there was a, a lot of hype for him going into this year or 2020. Shame on me because I followed that CEH hype, I followed the Higby hype, and I got both of them, and that kind of really screwed me over. So careful on the hype that you guys follow, guys. Um, with him, I, I, he's not someone worth drafting. Um, he's someone that needs to be proven on the free agency market, and I think there's a there's a good amount of other tight ends ahead of him that are worth drafting. He's never, he's number 21. Usually it's not worth getting two tight ends uh, in any league, unless you're playing a very deep roster or you're in a league without a lot of people, maybe with a big roster. But I, you know, I, I, to me, stay away from Higby. Um, let's move on to the defense. Second best defense behind the Steelers by 0.1 finish points per game. They had a, at 8.2, the Rams had 14 interception, 53 sacks. Um, but only three people on the team had more than one interception. And Ramsey was one of the people that only had one interception. That's probably because people didn't throw his way, you know, but he'll have three and he's gone. So that's one of the members that had more than one interception that's gone. Uh, and then for sacks, the thing that's kind of worrisome to me is the guy with the third most sacks, the fourth most sacks and the fifth most sacks are all gone on that team. So you're losing a lot of depth. So you still have Aaron Donald and you have uh, Leonard Floyd, but outside of that, uh, it's tough. You, you lost Morgan Fox is six, Brockers five, and Ekubaman is four point five. So, where is that going to come from after them? Like I said, um, I see some regression on this defense, Alex. And I know we've been kind of, we've been making it obvious during this time talking about them. I, I just don't see them being the one and two defense again this year. I, I think, I think they could be a borderline top five defense, just because of how disruptive Donald is, just because of how elite their two starting cornerbacks are. But there are some real concerns I have on the rest of that defensive line, uh, the linebacking core, the safeties. Um, so you you have elite in certain places, and you have hopefully at least average in everywhere else. Um, and, and for that reason, I you know, I just think that 
they're between five and 10, Alex, at, on, on defense and fantasy. What do you think? I think they're closer to 10. You you brought up what they've lost. I think um, people are sleeping on Brandon Staley. Um, yep. It's hard when you get yourself a, a really great defensive coordinator. I mean, he was one of the guys no one knew about, and he came out of nowhere. Uh, I remember a lot of people kind of um, – like, for instance, the PFT guys who cover, you know, football and they look at the different coverages. And Brandon Staley is so good at hiding coverages. He, t- he messaged the PFT guys and said, good luck trying to figure out what we're running. I mean, he was an absolute genius and whiz at that last year. I think that's going to probably hurt them more than the players. I think you can uh, – we have great players on defense – like they have, you can get away with maybe not being as good in one part. Just make sure the guy doing his part. But I think Brandon Staley, that's going to be a big loss for them. So, yeah, I can see them going back towards the middle of the pack. Yeah, so um, their new defensive coordinator is Raheem Morris, who I think was the Falcons defensive coordinator and then interim coach last year. The thing that, and this, I'm not trying to badmouth Ray Morris, and I'm going to go to the Mike Nolan path. I don't think he's bad as Mike Nolan. However, when you ha- when you bring someone in from a system where they're not good, that really concerns me as a huge red flag. The Falcons defense with a defensive coach with Dan Quinn being there, with Raheem Morris being, a, you know, a defensive coordinator under under defensive coach, and the defense is not good. To me, that's a huge, huge, huge red flag. You went from having a young and upcoming coach to having someone that just kind of proved that they're not great. Yes, he is good in some areas. Yes, he's a good communicator. Yes, he's good at developing players. However, I'm strongly concerned. I'm not saying this is a Mike Nolan type of move, but I feel like it's something that could be a Mike Nolan-ish type of move. What do you think about that? Um, I've heard Raheem Morris has kind of been very high as far as being a secondary guy. I'm not too sure if he's he's big on being maybe the defensive coordinator, but when you go from having someone who's really, really, really good to kind of someone like that, um, I mean, it's just a natural regression. Um, he doesn't have the same type of philosophies probably as the previous coaching staff, so um, it's just a natural regression. Whether or not Raheem Morris is really good or not, it's just going to be a regression. That's just the kind of the way it is. It's not even about – the fact that, you know, I'm not going to put him on Mike Nolan. Mike Nolan thing is Mike Nolan, the game had passed him by. Mike Nolan should have been out of NFL. He was out of NFL until his buddy Mike McCarthy got him back into the NFL. Um, Raheem Morris isn't as on that level, um, but to me, he's kind of like a, you know, one of those defense coordinators you can sub in and out. There's not that much of a defense. He's not a, a guy who's going to change the game, in my opinion. Yep. All right. Uh, let's move on to the uh, Seattle, Seah- Seattle Seahawks now. All right, so the Seahawks were 12-4 uh, and four with the eighth-best roster, the eighth-most points scored for, uh, 15 against points against. But the weird part for them last year was that they only played against three playoff teams, and they went two and two in those playoffs teams. So, you know, I'm not sure how good that really looks, but they did go 10-2 and two against the non-playoff teams. So they took care of business like a good team should. But the thing, Alex, that's kind of weird is their two playoff wins are against the one and only Dwayne Haskins, who's not even on his team anymore, and Jared Goff, who's also not on his team anymore. So they beat two kind of, I think, mediocre is a nice way of putting it. Uh, they beat two mediocre quarterbacks uh, of the playoff teams they played against that aren't even with their team anymore. So, 
maybe that's kind of why uh, they're not, they don't have enough good competition during the regular season and which, why I think we always see the Seahawks kind of falter. They had that one great run uh, the year after that, you know, they followed back up and then we haven't really seen them have a good run ever since. So going forward, Alex, do you think the Seahawks are in a good place? And I mean, specifically, not just as a team, but also with Russell Wilson. Are they in a good place? Does that feel good for you going on? Because the offseason started as a very shaking, rocky, really weird. But uh, do, do you think they're good going forward? Yeah, that's a critical question. Um, I mean, I think the more the issue came from the uh, interview he had and Dan Pratchett, he was talking about how he was kind of tired of getting hit and different things like that. And I understand that. I think that I, I was okay with that. But he kind of came back with his agent, kind of giving up of the top four teams if you wanted to trade me that he was willing to go to. And two of the teams had certified starters, like in Oakland, well, not Oakland, but Vegas. And then Dak Prescott's in the middle of trying to negotiate a contract, and you kind of inject that in. That kind of left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth personally. Um, I think they're in, they're in good space right now, obviously. Um, I think they probably – had a kumbaya moment, a come to Jesus moment behind the scenes to kind of make him feel good. Uh, so I think they're going to go for it professionally, but uh, there's always something that's probably going to be lingering. But I think for as far as next year, I don't think it's going to be a problem. The one thing that I really do like is I do like seeing like Russell Wilson being authentic and and kind of saying his part about how he felt. Like I wish there was more of that in sports and I wish people weren't getting going to get kind of crucified for saying things like that. I, I like, I like hearing them speak their part, um, knowing what's on their mind. And, you know, it, yeah, I think it's a good thing to hear. I mean, I, I want to hear football year round. And I, I, that's kind of stuff in the off season. I want to hear, you know, especially as a fan, if that was my team, I want to know what they're thinking, but uh, yep. So let's get into the Seahawks transactions in the off season with the things they did. Alex, they were the team that had the least draft picks in the whole draft kind of shocker. They're following the Rams lead. Maybe. They only had three picks. They had no first round pick, no third round pick. So their first round, the first pick they had was a second round pick. Dwayne Eskridge uh, at five foot nine. Alex, do you uh, think that that was the right pick to make with their first pick and one of their very few picks that they had? You know what? I really like Dwayne Eskridge. I like the player. I just didn't think Seattle, they had better needs they could have went. I thought they could have went online, maybe even cornerback or pass rusher. It was a head scratcher when it happened. It was like, okay, they got. One of the players I liked on you know on film on college for last year, but it's like still didn't make any sense. Yeah. Um <clears throat> he's five foot nine. He's got great speed, five four three nine. Tyler Luckett's kind of a slot receiver, so I guess we'll see. I guess we'll see where they line everyone up because in college, Eskridge was actually an outside wide receiver of five foot nine. So we'll see kind of what matchups that the uh the C Seahawks want to do. Getting to the transactions, Alex, uh, some of the additions. Is there what big additions that uh, do they have that you saw that was going to make an impact this year? Um, they obviously needed some help on the pass rushing side. So I, I'm, they've been signing a lot of defense alignment, but um, they signed your boy, Kerry Hyder. And uh, I've kind of been scratching my head because apparently uh, they have been signing a bunch of ex Cowboys that um, for some reason could not get to the pat, uh, quarterback with us. To save their life. So they signed Kerry Hyder. They had already had Vincent Mayua. And I looked at here in my notes and how many sacks he had for you guys last year. And I'm just astounded by it. I, 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 he was so bad for Dallas. But for some reason, he's going other places and kind of making a name for himself. So um, I saw him getting signed. That, that was one of the ones I kind of looked at. 
and kind of have my my ears up. It's also weird that the uh, Seahawks continue to just recycle 49er players because uh, he came from San Francisco and their two starting potential starting corners are both from them. Uh, so they signed Witherspoon, Akela Witherspoon, former second, I think third round pick. <laughs> um, graded very well last year. He was actually graded as the, um, I think, 12th best corner in, or I'm sorry, sixth best corner football. Granted, he only played meaningful snaps in, I think, week one, two in the last three weeks of the season, but he was graded the sixth best corner in all football. And then DJ Reed on the other side was graded as the uh, 14th best corner in all football. Um, and he played a lot of snaps. So they're, they're recycling players from the Niners. Now, outside of that, they had a couple other moves. Um, Gabe Jackson, the guard, they brought him in from the Raiders during the Raiders uh, offensive line purge for whatever reason. Gerald Everett came over from the Rams as a tight end. And then we have re-signs of Chris Carson and Jamal Adams. Alex, just going to ask you really quickly, what are your thoughts about the Jamal Adams addition? Well, not addition, but re-sign? Because I actually have them listed as the transaction I like the least. So I'll let you kind of answer that before I get into that one. Um, well, they put themselves in the corner. They had to sign him. Um, it's one thing to trade. You obviously gave up a lot to get him. Um, you should. They probably should have signed him when they traded for him. They would have been a lot cheaper. For some reason, they kicked the can down the road saying, oh, we're going to pay him later. And now you're basically playing him like a low-level pass rusher. And then when you think about it, he had nine and a half sacks last year. They didn't have a pass rush last year, and they really don't have a consistent pass rusher. So basically, they're paying a safety to be their edge rusher. It's like paying your edge rusher to be the person who's going to cover it and get interceptions for it. It's kind of backwards. But as a Cowboy fan, I'm so happy we didn't pay that much, pay the price to get him and pay this much to keep him because, good gracious, um, a good player. I like the player, even though he's probably one of the lower graded safeties in coverage. But I don't know if I'm willing to pay that much for a safety in the NFL today. Yeah, and I'm going to go through quickly why I don't like Jamal Adams as for for this sign. I do like him as a player, just not as being paid the highest say paid safety player. Uh, pass rushing safety, which you know I don't know if that's a thing, but he's graded as the best pass rushing safety in football. I don't think we have to debate that. Um, I don't think we've seen anyone kind of make this kind of impact in, in some time. <clears throat> His coverage grade, though, is a 78 out of 93 safeties overall, so that's definitely not good. His run defense is a 57 out of 87, so not good either, it's especially if you're in the box already and you're blitzing. Uh, passes defended, he's ninth on his whole roster. He's not even the best or second or third or fourth or fifth. He's the ninth best at passes defended. And then the big key stat, Alex, is how many career interceptions does Vince Wolfork have? Do you remember? Um, I believe he has two or three. He's got three. So mm. Vince Wolfork's got three career interceptions, all six foot one of him, 340 pounds at the defensive tackle in his career. Jamal Adams' career interceptions is two. So uh, maybe he'll you know prove something different this year, but that's kind of a crazy situation to go into. Now let's go into the transactions that uh, for the losses that the Seahawks had. Um, are, are you tracking what, what are the big losses that you see that the Seahawks had, Alex? Well, basically their whole tight end room was wiped out. <laughs> they lost Hollister, Olsen retired, and Luke Wilson. Uh, so that was a kind of a big hit to them. Upati, uh, Mike Upati probably was not the guy he was when he first came in the league, but he still was a, a solid guy. And then you're also a fact that they lost two corners from last year. Dunbar, obviously, they cut him because of the off-field issues. But also you're talking about Griffin. They let Griffin go. He went to Jacksonville. 
And then, you know, one of their older players they've had forever, KJ Wright, he's still a free agent. Well, I think he's supposed to be side, actually signed somewhere this week. Um, but, yeah, they've lost a lot of defensive uh, help they had from last year. Yep, they also lost uh, Philip Dorsett, David Moore, the wide receivers, and Juwan Reed, who went to the tackle. <clears throat> um, it looks like for KJ Wright, he's going to be re-signing potentially with the Seahawks, but I don't think it's official yet, so I guess we'll see. Uh, we'll see if that actually happens or not because um, they, they definitely do need that help there. Um, so getting into the cap side, they had $13 million left this year. Um, and they have 37 million open next year. However, as the cap goes up in Adam's contract, this is his fourth year. Next year is his fifth year. So next year he makes 9 million after that. It jumps up to 18, 21, 23, something like that. So, um, you know, that's a big chunk of money going to Jamal Adams next couple of years. Brooks, or I'm sorry, uh, Dwayne Brown, the left tackle. Uh, he's kind of, I, I think he's holding in is what the term is. I don't think he's holding out, uh, but he's 37 years old and he wants a new contract. So we'll see what they do with that. Uh, let's get into some fantasy football now on the side for the Seahawks. Uh, so with them, number seven quarterback last year, Russell Wilson threw for 4,200 yards, 40 passing touchdowns against three interceptions, 13 interceptions, 500 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns, putting him at a 21.5 fantasy points per game clip. So like I said, that's number seven quarterback. What I will say uh, about him is he was killing it. Uh, up until week 10, I think he was actually rated as number one and two quarterback in all of football, fantasy-wise, uh, just because how good he was playing. Uh, and he was in MVP talks. MVP talks very uh, in the first half season. In the second half of the season, after week 11, he only had two games with more than one passing touchdown. So they gave some more offensive weapons. They improved the offensive line, Alex. Do you see him more as a – because right now he's a seven. Do you see him closer to being a – staying inside a top 10, or do you think he's going to uh, kind of – potentially be a top five quarterback, especially with uh, Deshaun Watson possibly not playing this year. Um, I see him kind of being solid in the top 10, probably closer to 10 than he is to five. Uh, and you can only take for what they're saying out of Seattle. They're planning on going to the ground and pound offense they kind of had when they were in their older days when they were winning the Super Bowl. That's kind of how Pete wants to do. He's a defensive player, so – do I expect Russell Wilson to throw as much or to have as many big plays? He'll probably have big plays, but I don't expect him to put up maybe the similar numbers we had last year. So I can expect him just based off that to maybe take a slight step down. But I think he's still worth, obviously worth drafting me a QB1 somewhere. You know, if you're in the top 10 and you're in a standing lead 10-plus players, he's obviously a QB1. So I think he's definitely worth drafting. I just don't know if he's going to make that leap with the fact they're changing the offense and want to get more conservative. Yeah, he did have the second most passing touchdowns last year. So, you know, it is very possible. It's just a matter of the rushing touchdowns were, were down last year to only two. <clears throat> so we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Chris Carson was number 13 running back overall. He had 681 rushing yards, five touchdowns, 37 catches for four receiving touchdowns. So a total of nine touchdowns. Averaging 14.8 fantasy points per game. However, did miss four games in the middle of the season, Alex. I have him as a as a good number uh, running back too. Um, I think 13 is probably safe. You know, maybe he can get up to 10. But what do you think about Chris Carson? I think he's going to be probably around where he's at. Um, if they're going to run as much as they say they are, he's going to be right where he's at. Um, I know you probably you know, he's probably slated to be like a number two running back 
thing about him is um, particularly last year he got hurt. That kind of scares me a little bit, especially since the fact they don't really have a lot of anything behind him. I know they have younger running backs, but um, I would be, you know, he definitely would be a running two, a number, running, number two running back. I feel real comfortable if I can maybe he slips a little bit because a lot of times with him being the West Coast, guys don't really think highly of some of the guys on the West Coast. Maybe he slips to be a number three. I think that'd be a great value. Uh, but if I think if you want to take him, you're going to have to probably take him. Like I said, if we talk about backs, he's going to be in the top 15. Yep. All right. So let's move on to the wide receivers. This is one of those teams that are stacked with two stud wide receivers. DK Metcalf uh, was the number 10 wide receiver last year. He uh, had 83 catches on – uh, a thousand or thirteen hundred yards, ten touchdowns at sixteen point six fantasy points per game. Uh, we've seen some great improvement from him for the uh, first two years of his career. So this is going to year three, and I don't think there's any corner with him out there that really matches up against him. If you look at his stats, maybe uh, you know Jalen Ramsey has had success against him. He definitely kind of showed that in one game. The other game, he held him still like five or six catches. But I, talking about a physically imposing wide receiver, I don't think there's really anyone that can stop him. Uh, and also in terms of fantasy wide receivers, the one great thing about him is he only had four games under 11 fantasy points for the year. So when you have someone that's that consistent, um, I, that that's something that you want to have. And one of those one of those games was week 17. So maybe three games of value the whole year um, with him being under 11 fantasy points, 11 fantasy points per game. So, you know, that, to me, that's a borderline wide receiver one. Uh, um, you know, uh, if you have a wide receiver two, that's insanely good you probably don't have good running backs in that situation but what do you think alex um do you have him potentially having a chance of breaking the top five wide receiver group because in terms of fantasy points per game he was only off by one fantasy point per game so you know that's just one catch for a ppr league or uh you know 10 yards for some league so do you think he can scratch uh, and has have a chance to get inside it and crack that top five? Uh yeah he's got a chance um he's gonna be right up there um I know a lot of people mock a lot about his hands. I think his hands are going to be okay. He's going to get better at that. Um, he dropped all. He should have had probably fifteen or sixteen hundred yards receiver last year. He drops um, dropped some big balls last year. Um, but I think this year he, he. I wouldn't be surprised if he, he goes up a little bit more. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he has ten or more than ten touchdowns. I had ten touchdowns last year. I wouldn't be surprised if that goes up. I wasn't surprised if he's closer to maybe 1,500 or 1,400 yards receiving totally. But as far as averages per game, yeah, I expect him to be right there. Uh, I don't know if he's going to catch one more ball to put him in the top five, but he's going to be in that conversation. Yeah, and so we've been talking about fancy points per game because I like I like to look at how much they average per, per game uh, that they play. But if you go to total cumulative amount last year, he was the seventh best wide receiver overall in terms of uh, total – total points accumulated throughout the year. So, you know, he, he definitely has a chance right ahead of him was Justin Jefferson, number six. So, um, you know, the two of them well, he, could be fighting. He was good to drop in one ball a game. He catches that one ball. He's top five. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because he, he had the same amount of targets as Tyler Lockett, who we're about to talk about. They had the same amount of targets. I think they both had about uh, 130 targets. Yeah, DK Metcalf had 129. So DK Metcalf had three less targets, but Tyler Lockett had 17 more catches. So you can definitely see that, um, you know, uh, he can definitely improve his numbers a little bit. So we're going to transition right into Tyler Lockett, who's 
Wide receiver number 12 in terms of fantasy points per game, right behind DK Metcalf by 0.2 or 0.3 fantasy points per game. He had 100 catches, broke a thousand yards, had 10 touchdowns, just like DK Metcalf did. Which, uh, you know, once again, he was a number 12 wide receiver. Now, the thing with him is kind of interesting that people need to track down is the reason why I think you can't have him as your one, not wide receiver one, is because yes, he is kind of a good at PPR. But when he goes off, he goes off, which also means that he has some games where he does not show up. So of his 260 points total in this this league that we uh, grade everything off of, 123, which is almost half his points, so within seven, half his points for that for the season were came in three games where he scored 33, 53, and 37. So very scary to have have him as your number one wide receiver. However, as number two, it's a it's a complete lock because you don't want him carrying your wide receiver room with how inconsistent those numbers are. Um, Alex, if you have to pick between DK Metcalf and Lockett, is is it a no brainer that you would rather go with Metcalf over Lockett? Oh yeah, I'd rather go Metcalf over Lockett. Um, Lockett is a PPR stud. Um, he had a hundred catcher last year. I wouldn't I would expect him to be up north of that this year. I wouldn't be surprised with that. Um, but the only thing about it is, is back to what you're saying, like, you know, even in his lower games, if you're in a PPR league, he gets you two or three or four or five catches in a game. It's enough for points just to be minimum. Um, but the thing about it is, back to what you're, you said, he's kind of had games where he's up and down. I had Tyler Lockett a couple of my leagues last year, so I, I, I know the burn of him. The game's just like, okay, we'll just do something. Do the other game's like, holy crap, I guess this is his game of the year. Yeah, he had – and he only had six games with more than seven catches. So, you know, when he, when he goes off, he goes off, and then those other games, it's just kind of like three catches for 40 yards or four catches for 40 yards. It's – yeah, do, do not have him as your wide receiver one. Uh, but if you have him as wide receiver two, that's, you know, that that's a, that's a perfect place for Tyler Lockett to go. Moving on to uh, tight ends, Gerald Everett. Uh, he was number 20. He's actually never been above a number 20 tight end his whole career. He has a chance as being the starting tight end. But for me, my opinion, you know, there's much better safe choices. Um, if you're to the point where you don't have the top 10, 12 tight ends, then yeah, sure, take the chance with Everett or kind of watch him a free agency. But um, I'd stay away from Gerald Everett. Now, we're moving to defense next. With the defense... They were ninth best overall with 14 interceptions, 46 sacks. However, Alex, I think they play a tougher schedule. I think they've lost some people uh, on the defensive side. So I think there's some regression coming from them. I kind of see them closer to maybe 12, 13 um, in that area. But I don't think they're a top 10 defense this year. What do you think? No, I don't see them. I see them definitely regressing. Um, We also look at kind of how their interceptions kind of went last year. I mean, they had three from Griffin and five from Diggs. So um, we have a due secondary. We talked about it earlier today about who their corners are going to be. Technically, they're going to be better at coverage, but I don't know if they're going to be, you know, they're going to be on islands a lot. Why? Because Jamal Adams is going to be over there pressuring the quarterback. So you leave your corners out on island, you're going to take more chances. So there might be some chances where, hey, they might get maybe comparable amount of sacks they had last year. But – your secondary is getting burned a little bit just because you're leaving guys one-on-one. Um, I think they've lost too many guys um, in the back end, and they're starting to rebuild their front end. So I'm not too sure if um, Hyder's going to bring his sacks over and have a crazy year like he had last year. Um, the same thing with them losing Reed, or losing um, 
losing other guys. Um, but I, I, I think they're going to be closer to the middle pack, though. All right. All right. So that wraps up <clears throat> covering the four teams. Let's uh, get into our predictions for the teams and where they're going to finish. So, Alex, you got the over-unders ready, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's start with the Seahawks first uh, since they won the division last year. What's the over-under set at for the Seahawks? They are set at 10 even. All right, 10 even. So I, I have them slightly over. I have them at 11 games. Uh, last year, they played four playoff teams. This year, they played nine playoff teams. Now, some of those nine playoff teams are not the same as what they were last year. For example, you know, like a team like the Saints. I will argue with anyone. They're not the same team they were last year. Um, you know, so I, I can still see them winning 11 games. They have a, Their offense is solid. Their offensive line got better. Um, their offense will be completely just fine. Their defense will be, I think, off by a little bit. But for that reason, I think they'll win 11 games. I think the NFC West is going to kind of break even with each other. And I think there's a lot of other games that are scheduled that are, that are pretty favorable for for the Seahawks, even though, like I said, they played nine playoff teams this next year. So, Alex, what do you have? Uh, how many games do you have the Seahawks winning? I got them at 10. I only got them one a game difference from you um, looking at their schedule. I would I be surprised if they win 12 games? No, I wouldn't be. Uh, but when you have a top five quarterback like Russell Wilson, it's hard when you have a great quarterback to have like a really bad year. So I think they're good enough to compete. So I got them at 10. And the thing with the Seahawks also is if you look at their schedule with their home games, the only really tough home game outside the NFC West is they have the Titans uh, at home week two. I really think that they could go seven and one uh, ish on their schedule. Uh, it's the road games that kind of concern me, which I think they'll probably more so break even on. Uh, they got some tough road games. And if you track the Seahawks, they, they don't really travel well to the East coast, but they go at Indianapolis week one. They're at Pittsburgh week six at Lambeau week 10 at WFT week 12. Um, so th- those are some games that kind of concern me on, on their, on their schedule. So, you know, if they were going to break even on the road, I think that still puts them in position to go 11 to six, in my opinion. And for Alex, he said 10 and seven. So, uh, Alex, the Rams, what do we got the Rams at for the over under Rams are at 10 and a hook. All right. So I got the Rams going over with a huge, huge caveat. I have them at 11 games. If they don't lose any key players and especially if they don't lose Stafford, Ramsey or Donald. And I mean, like they can't lose the three of those to any games throughout the year. Um, if they can keep the three of them healthy and keep most of their players healthy, I can see them winning the division with 11 games. However, man, if they, if they can't, I can see them really dropping off and talk about interesting. If they, if they really drop off the lines, get what they, the next two first round picks. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's not a position they want to be in. So the lines are definitely rooting for, uh, the injury bug to hit them because they do not have the depth to compete. So I got them at uh, 11 wins. They play eight playoff teams Four of the first five games are kind of tough, but the rest are definitely winnable to do. Alex, well, how many games do you have them at? I have them at 11 as well. Um, the main question we talked about it earlier is going to be, it's going to be on Matt Stafford. We're going to see what, what Matt Stafford is made of. Um, I know if golf was here, there would be probably a 10 or 11 win team, but the pressure's on Stafford. He he can't just win this division. He's going to have to push them to championship form. But back to what you said, like they're very thin. They're not deep in any of the other positions. So 
if they start losing players, um, particularly Stafford, um, I don't see them overcoming that. And so I got the Rams and the Seahawks both 11 wins. And for me, I have the Rams winning the division. And this is going to be my tiebreaker. This is where it's going to matter. Week one, the Rams play the Bears at home, meaning they get the Andy Dalton version of the Bears. However, the Seahawks get the Bears in the second to last game of the season, which to me is the Justin Fields version of the Bears. So I could see, I could see that being a, a you know a different outcome for them, with the Bears potentially being the Seahawks for that reason compared to being the being the Rams. Uh, let's move on next to the Cardinals, who finished fourth last year, or I'm sorry, third last year. They are, got them at eight and a half. And a half. All right. That's perfect. So we've been, we've been killing this, Alex. I, I got them at nine games. I think that they have a good team. They have a good core. And I think they did a really great job of, of adding veterans. The thing that I don't think I trust is I don't trust Kingsbury. I don't think he's the right coach to push him over the top. I think this is the situation where he's going to be out in a year and you need to get a, a veteran coach in that can kind of push his team to the next level. Uh, and win a championship or get them in into the playoff run. And that's what Kyler Murray needs. He needs some of that playoff experience. So uh, the Cardinals play nine playoff teams. Uh, however, they also have some very easy games that they should win on their schedule. Um, in some of those games, you know, they, they play Jacksonville. They play the Texans. They play the Lions. So there's a couple of very easy games that they should win. Uh, so I have them at nine games, Alex. What do you got the Cardinals at? See, this is the thing about it. Theoretically, I wouldn't be surprised if they won 10 games, but I got them at eight. And it goes back to the first thing you said, Kingsbury. I think I think he's a good offensive coordinator. I don't know if he's a good head coach. Um, and being a good head coach, you're going to have to be able to kind of, you know, get your guys up for certain games, be kind of the game manager, managing situations. And I don't think he's that guy. Um, so I got to hit them at eight wins. So I got them at under eight and a half. All right. And then last, we got the Niners. So what's the over-under set at the Niners? Ten and a half. All right. So this is the one. And this is weird because as a Niner fan, I should probably be more biased. But I have them at I have them under finishing in third place in division with 10 wins. Now, the thing that I do like about them is, man, that schedule looks good in some places because – the matchmakers gave the Lions, the Eagles, Jacksonville, and Bengals all on the road, which means, you know, yes, it's uh, an easy team. And however you're playing at their place, that means that you should play your harder games in your house. So that hopefully will help. Now, if you remember what I said, for whatever reason, the last year, the Niners were one and seven at home last year. So we'll see how this all plays out. But they have the easiest schedule in terms of the teams they play. And also at home, they also do play the uh, the Texans and the Falcons. So... I think 10 wins is reasonable, and, and also because the injuries scare me for them. Uh, I think they will go 10-7. and seven. I think they'll sneak in as the last wild card team. But I also wouldn't be surprised if they were able to stay healthy that they could, you know, top out at something like 12 or 13 wins if, huge if, if everyone stays healthy on that team. What do you got, Alex? I got them at 10 wins as well. Um, <laughs> I think they're, they were a playoff team last year. But when you had been decimated as much as they were last year, and both the Cowboys and the 49ers just had so many players on IR that was gone last year. Um, they're one of the, on the most injured rosters last year. 
Um, I think they're going to be fine coming back this year as long as they're fully healthy. Um, I think Jimmy G's got something to prove, man. I know we're probably going to get, you know, move towards the Trey Lance near the end of the year or middle of the end of the year. Who knows when that's going to happen? But I think the roster is just so too good. I think the coaching staff is just too good. They know what they're doing. The question is going to be, can their defense be any good with losing Robert Sala? Yep, I agree. So um, the one thing I, I just did some research on is the whole, you know, we talk, we keep talking about injuries. So the one team that does go to MetLife this year is the LA Rams week six. So <laughs> now week six is the indicator. We'll know at week six, if the Rams are going to win the division or not based on, uh, cause they have a tough start of the schedule and they have MetLife at week six. That that's single-handedly what destroyed the Niners last year. They went to MetLife. Uh, playing the Jets and the Giants, blowing both teams out, and then losing half their roster to injuries. Um, so good luck to all the Rams fans out there. Uh, I would watch that game uh, a lot of interest just to see what happens injury-wise. So wrapping this up, me and Alex, the way we have this locked up is we actually, I think, for the most part, have the same uh, same order set up. So we both have the Rams finishing with 11 wins in first place. We both have the Seahawks in second. I have them with 11 wins. Alex has them with 10 wins. We both have the Niners with three, uh, 10 wins in third place. And the last place, we have the Cardinals, where I have nine wins. Alex has eight wins. So I have every team with the winning record, which is kind of the anti-NFC East. Uh, Alex does have the Cardinals with the losing record with uh, eight wins and maybe nine losses or man, I don't know how many ties you, you could predict on that one. But, uh, you know, it looks pretty good, Alex. We have everything within one on the over-under. We don't look at those in advance. So that's uh, pretty damn good. Uh, and, yeah, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, so thanks for listening, guys. Hopefully you uh, you enjoyed it. And if you agree or disagree, please let us know. Love to hear your input. Um, Alex, any closing thoughts on the uh, NFC West? This was probably the hardest division to pick. I, I went back and forth on, who, on the games or who I would think would win. You know, you could pick outside the division on all these games, but picking inside the division of how it's going to go, you would think perfectly all of them at three and three against each other, but it's just not like that. So this was absolutely hard. It, it is a predicate on how good this division is. So we're hopefully we're going to see some good football from this division going forward. Yeah, definitely. All right. So next, uh, next episode, we're going to be doing the NFC North. Uh, so we'll catch you on that one. So thanks for listening guys. Uh, Sports Talk for fans. Remember to check out our Facebook page. Like, subscribe when you uh, see these on your podcast that you're listening on. And we will see you on the next episode.